0: You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series, The Immorality of the U.S. Immigration System, by Agustina Vergara-Sid. Well, thank you, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for being here on this special, very special day for me, but for all of us, because it's the 4th of July. So let's get started. Imagine this scenario. The gunshot misses Kira. So she no longer dies in the middle of the night in the snow, in the middle of nowhere Russia. But she actually manages to you know, climb the snowy mountains, fight the animals. And she gets to the border, to the neighboring country. And when she was about to cross to the she was about to cross the border an agent from that country stops her and asks her where are you from are you a citizen from this country to which she responds no i'm not i'm russian and the agent tells her okay so what are you doing here and she says well I came here to do what I can't do in Russia. I came here to work and build bridges. And the agent responds, well, I'm sorry. You have to leave because we cannot have Russians come here and take our jobs. And so Kira says, really, isn't there anything I can do to to come here and work? And the agent tells her, well, if you insist, if you really want it, we can consider it, but look, here's what you have to do. You have to fill out this stack of forms that are about this big. You're gonna have to hire a lawyer to help you do that. And you're gonna have to pay us a lot of money in fees so we can process all this. And then when you submit that to us, you will hear from us in about six months to a year, we'll see, depending. And this is, you know, you will be here temporarily, so don't get your hopes up if you get here. But in the meantime, he says, you cannot stay here. You have to go back to Russia, go back to where you came from, you have to wait there for our decision. So she is put in the next bus back to Russia, and when she arrives back in Russia, she is seized and she is executed for having tried to escape the Soviet regime. This is, of course, uh, an alternative ending for Ayn Rand's novel, We the Living. But it's also a dramatization of what happens to a lot of people that want to come to the United States. They work really hard to get here, to come here and build a better life and they are crushed by the regulations of the US immigration system. And if you think that the system crushes only illegal immigrants, the ones that cross the border that we see on the news every day, you'd be wrong. We hear all the time people that say, well, why don't they just come here legally? Why don't they just get in line? You know, follow the rules, come on. But the truth of the matter is that the immigration system also crushes the people that want to follow the rules and get in line. But we don't often hear about this. These stories don't make the headlines like the stories about the border make the headlines. And I think that a lot of well-meaning people that are pro-immigration are not aware of this and what a problem our immigration system poses. So that means that our, like, potentially our strongest advocates for more freedom in immigration don't have all the facts to be able to you know, fight for something better. So today I will discuss a couple of examples where the U.S. immigration system crushes individuals, which to me are examples of injustices that this system commits. These are things that routinely happen under our current immigration system. And these are the stories that don't make the headlines. And please, when when I give you all these examples, please pay attention to what the system is optimizing for. The immigration system has a definitive goal that it wants to achieve. So please think what you think that goal is. We will discuss slides. No. The caps that currently exist for work visas, we will discuss the excessive waiting times for people who are already in the United States and want to uh, change status and want to come here to live and work permanently. And we will discuss what the immigration system really cares about. So let's get started. The first injustice, the caps especially for work visas. So, to be clear, I'm going to talk about work visas, uh, particularly uh, one work visa. This is a very, very complicated system. And I'm going to simplify it a lot, But this is very, actually very complex. Uh, in fact, it is true that the immigration system is uh, the second most complicated piece of legislation in the U.S law. the first one being tax law but frankly, the injustices that the system commits are second to none. So I'm gonna talk about the most popular and coveted uh, type of work visa that there is, which is, you might have heard about it, the H-1B visa. The H-1B visa is a type of non-immigrant visa that allows US employers to hire foreign workers in specialty occupations that require a bachelor's degree or an equivalent of a bachelor's degree. And part of what you have to know about H-1B visas is that they are subject to caps. So for the majority of professions, they are subject to a numerical limitation each year of 80,000 visas. And to be selected to get one of these visas, you enter a lottery. So if you didn't get selected in the lottery and those visas ran out, it doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how productive you are, how knowledgeable you are, how much of an expert you are in a given field. And it doesn't matter how much a U.S. employer wants you. If you didn't get selected in the lottery, tough luck. You're going to have to wait until next year. To give you some context, we have 80,000 visas more or less every year. For fiscal year uh, 24 next year, there are almost 800,000 applicants. So with this in mind, what do you think it would take for a young professional that is clearly very smart, that is ambitious, that is knowledgeable, and that has immense productive potential to come to work in the United States. So let me tell you the story of such a person. This is the story of Eric Yuan. Eric is a Chinese citizen who started working in tech in the 90s, and he started working in tech because he was inspired by a speech given by Bill Gates. And there was a particular problem that he wanted to solve with technology. He wanted to be able to talk to and see his girlfriend without having to travel eight, uh, sorry, 10 hours actually to the city where she lived in China. And because Eric was a very smart guy, he quickly realized that the place to be to do this was the United States, more specifically Silicon Valley. So Eric said, that's where I'm going, that's where I can do what I want. So he applied, he he got a US employer and he applied for a visa. So he applied for this visa and and he was rejected. And he applied again and he was rejected. And he applied again and he was rejected. And he applied again and he was rejected. He was rejected eight times until finally, on his ninth try, he was finally granted a visa to come work in the United States. When he got here, Eric worked for companies like WebEx and Cisco and helped them make make them really, really successful. But while while this process took place, this, this visa process, Yuan had to put his life on hold, his career on hold, for a very long time. He and the companies that wanted to hire him here in the United States, spent thousands of dollars and so much time and effort for each application that was rejected. And this guy, Eric Yuan, turned out to be the CEO and founder of Zoom. And it's, like, I, don't, I don't think I need to tell you the value that Zoom has brought to, your, to our lives, especially during the pandemic. I can tell you the market value of the company, which is over $20 billion. But Yuan was almost deprived, deprived from creating all this value. Imagine being in his position where you have to put your career on hold, but not just your career, your entire life on hold, waiting for someone to decide whether you can pursue your goals in America or not. H1B hopefuls don't have to imagine that. Because this story is what you want and thousands of other people who are talented, productive, and want to work go through every time they apply for work visas in the United States. But it is not just people who are trying to come to the United States from abroad to apply for a visa to come here and work that have to face endless difficulties. It is also people who are already in the country and want to either change visas or they want to try and live here permanently, get a the a green card, right? So this is our second injustice. The rules for people who are already in the US and want to stay to work or become residents. And here I'm going to tell you my own story. I am an immigrant, I am from Argentina um, I have a law degree from Argentina, and I came to the United States in 2017 to pursue a master's program in law in an American university. And to give you some context for those who don't know, Argentina is a very typical Latin American country where you know, there's economic collapse and disaster. It's very unsafe. It's almost impossible for someone that is very, very ambitious to progress. So I was obviously very eager to leave, but I wasn't eager to just avoid this negative. I wanted to pursue a positive. I wanted to go to a country that I knew that if I worked really hard, that I could earn the life that I wanted to live. So what is that place? The United States. So. It took a lot of effort and time to get admitted to a U.S. university. You guys know the process to get into law school, right? But it took even more time and even more effort and a lot of money to actually be able to obtain a student visa, which is called the F1 visa. You can ask me about that process in the Q&A period. I finally get the visa, I come here, I study, I finish my program, I graduate. When I graduate, ARI gives me a job offer. And I remember that day very clearly because I thought, this is the American dream. I worked really hard for my master's and to be a great student and studying objectivism, keeping in touch with ARI. My hard work is paying off, this is America. So with ARI, we apply for a work visa for myself. So what we had to do was we had to change my status, right? We had to go from a student visa to a work visa. And there is something that you have to know about changing status when you uh, want to change from one visa to the other. Is that when you apply and you are in the middle of the process, you cannot leave the country. Or rather, you can leave, but then you cannot get back in. Because when you leave, your, your application is considered abandoned by the immigration system, by USCIS. So when you try to get back in, you no longer can use your F-1 visa, your student visa, and you never got that work visa, so, you cannot get in use in that visa. So, what you have to do is go back to your country, to the consulate, apply, start the process all over again, pay the fees and everything, and see if they give it to you. But the fact that you abandoned one already is a strike on your record against you, and your visa is going to be much harder to get. And I'd like to rewind a little bit. So I came here 2017 to do my master's, but a couple years before that, late 2015, 2016, my dad was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. This is a picture of me and my dad in my graduation from law school in Argentina. So he had to have surgery he went through chemo it was obviously an incredibly difficult time for me and my family by the time I by by late 2017 by the time I was about to leave for my masters his uh, cancer thankfully was in remission and i was very very hesitant to leave because i didn't know what was going to happen but my dad told me look forget it just go please I will see you when you finish your master's and you come visit me. Fast forward again, I graduate, I get a job offer from ARI, apply for the the visa, and we're in the middle of this process of changing status. And at that point, my dad gets sick again. But this time, it was so bad, his cancer was back, and it was so bad that they only gave him a couple months to live. So, I was put in a tragically difficult situation that is unfortunately not uncommon for immigrants to have to face. I could stay in America, pursue my career, keep everything I worked so hard for, my job offer for my dream job, the the benefits, the fruits from my master's degree, my American dream. I could do that and never see my dad again. Or I could leave and see him one last time and lose everything else. So at the time for me, there was no question in my mind. I wanted to go be with him and I said, I will somehow figure it out. I don't know, I just wanna be with him we had a phone conversation when we discussed this, and I said, look dad, I want to be with you. And my dad told me, listen, if you come back here, I will kick you right out the door. Because there is absolutely no point. There's nothing you can do. And he told me that he understood the value of a career and building a life and that I should just stay and do that and not lose everything that I worked so hard to get. Because he witnessed it. I debated it a lot. It was a very difficult time for me, my life. But I finally decided to honor his desire. And on July 1st, 2018, I had my last call with him, and a week later, he passed away. And this is what the immigration regulations did to me. But unfortunately, it didn't even end there. Because of many regulations and problems that are too technical to go into here, we couldn't get my work visa after all of this. So we had to pursue a different type of visa. And that visa required that, while it was processing, that I obtained a work permit to be able to work legally in the United States. And that I acquired a travel permit to be able to leave the country and re-enter the country without many problems. That travel permit, by the way, is called Advanced Parole. Yep. So let me try to clarify what this process is like. I needed a visa to stay in the United States to be able to work and travel. But because it took so long to process that visa, I needed a a permit before that, a work permit and a travel permit, so I could do all these things while that visa was being processed. But the permit itself took a really long time. And while that permit was being processed, I couldn't work, and I couldn't leave. So I found myself saying out loud something that I never in my life thought I would say. I am stuck in the United States. It took nine months for that permit to arrive in the mail. Nine months without income. Nine months without being authorized to go back to Argentina and deal with the aftermath of my dad's death. So what was the system doing here? The system was pushing me out of that line that I was trying to follow. It was not letting me work, but it was not letting me leave either. So what am I supposed to do? Leave and lose everything, especially after what happened with my dad? Or work here illegally so they can catch me and deport me and I lose everything anyway? And on top of that, there are sanctions that I cannot get back into the United States for like 10 years, if I can get back. This happens every day to immigrants that come to America legally. And my own story is not even the most tragic story I've heard, not by any stretch. What the US immigration system does is set immigrants up for failure. And let me clarify something. It's a common objection that I hear. the vast majority of immigrants that come to America are like me and like On, We are people who take our lives seriously, who come here to work, to build a better life. We are the overwhelming majority of immigrants. Are there criminals within the immigrant population? Of course there are. Just like there are criminals in the general population of anything but they are a tiny minority. And also keep in mind that here I am talking about people who want to apply for visas, so they are thoroughly vetted in that visa application, or that are already here, present in the United States legally, so we've been thoroughly vetted as well in order to be here. So it's not like me and Yuan were being stopped and mistreated because we were criminals. Not even because we had some sort of contagious disease, right? We were being stopped for another reason. Why then? Why were there so many obstacles in our ways? Remember I asked you earlier, um, what do you think the goal of the immigration system is? The answer is, slides. The US immigration system wants to keep people from working. Let me make that clear. In the United States, it is illegal for millions of people to work. Let that sink in. The US immigration system is most concerned about people not working than about anything else. It is what is designed to do. And this concern is even bigger than the concern about criminality. And I know that is a really strong accusation. So, how do I know this? Well, if you look at the different processes in the system that are uh, examining and vetting foreign born people, you realize that this is the case. So, when uh, you apply for a visa when you get interviewed for any kind of visa, like a tourist visa, if you want to, you know, come to uh, like a visitor visa, if you want to come to tourism or you want to come to Ocon or if you want a a student visa, which is also another type of non-immigrant visa, you get asked a bunch of questions in your application. Like if any of you guys are currently on a visa to be here, you know this very well. So they ask you so many questions in the application and then on your live interview with, with, a, with, a, with an officer. And you answer honestly. And they ask you things like, are you coming to the United States to engage in prostitution? No. Do you have tuberculosis or infectious leprosy? No. I don't think so. Do you seek to engage in terrorist activities while in the United States? No, 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 no. Do you intend to overthrow the U.S. government? No. Okay, so, and then they ask you, but look, do you intend to work in the United States? And you say, uh, no. And they essentially tell you, I don't believe you. And the agent essentially tells you, I will make you go out of your way to prove that you do not intend to work in the United States. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to have to submit all this paperwork to prove to me that you don't intend to work. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to prove your ties to your home country. You're going to have to show me your bank statements your paycheck, a letter from your employer in your home country, the titles for any property that you may have that shows that you will probably come back and not wanna work here, your kids' birth certificates, your kids that live in your home country, and an itinerary of every single thing you intend to do while you are in the United States. And the same is true when you are in the residency interview. When I did my interview, I was asked, how did you sustain yourself during those nine months when you were not allowed to work? Because God forbid that you were a productive person who could sustain herself before we gave you permission to do so. It is by design that the immigration system is optimized to prevent people from working and pursuing a better life here in the United States. So what does that design look like? Let's do a little exercise. So if Ayn Rand were alive today, what do you think she would have to do to come to America to permanently live and work? This. And I know you cannot really see it, see this graph, because even though this is a gigantic screen, I could not fit the graph. Uh, it's, too, it's too big. This is the line. This is the proverbial line that people want immigrants to follow. So if you thought that the system needed some tweaking, but kind of like essentially worked, maybe we get rid of the caps and the country quotas and all that, and we can make it work, no. Look at this chart. This is what the immigration system is. This is the line. This is an inscrutable, unintelligible, frankly Kafkaesque system. So what is supposed to be justifying this? I get that question like, a lot, why is this happening? It makes no sense, like, is, what is, why? Like, well, I agree, it makes no sense. There are good, peaceful people that are being kept out, so what is the justification? The justification is this claim. There is this claim that immigrants come to America to take the jobs away from Americans. And there is a lot that is wrong with this claim. For starters, seeking employment it is it's not a crime in this country. It doesn't coerce anyone. It doesn't violate anyone's rights. It is not an initiation of force. And you guys know, because you're in this conference, that there is no right to a job. And there is no right to be free from competition in the job market, or in any other market for that matter. And by the way, it's an economic fallacy that the immigrants take the job away from Americans. But also think about it this way. The government has the powers that we, the people, delegate to it, it, right? How does the government gain the power to prevent people from working? It is irrelevant that these people are born on U.S. soil or not born on U.S. soil. If Bob, an American, doesn't have the right to ask the government to prevent Alisa, his neighbor, also, an American to take a second job in the same industry that he works in because she will compete with him. If Bob doesn't have the right, what does Bob make? Th- like, why does Bob think that he has the right to ask that when if Alisa is an immigrant? There are no rights of Americans being violated by other people working. In fact, imagine how transformative it would be if we had all the labor from every immigrant that wants to come here to work. But there is definitely a right of Americans that is violated with these immigration regulations. And let's go back to the example of the caps, of Yuan. Americans are unable to hire whoever they want and they miss out on the best employees because of this. And when you apply to bring a foreign employee, what you have to do is the government asks you to demonstrate that there is no American that can do that job. So what the government essentially tells you is, come on, why don't you hire someone else, someone from America? Why do you have to go get those foreigners? And the answer is no. I want him. People are not fungible. People are individuals with specific virtues and talents. So I want you to remember this. Every restriction on immigration is a restriction on native-born Americans as well. The government is telling Americans who they can deal with and who they can't deal with, who they can and can't welcome into their homes, whether they can live with their foreign-born spouse in America or not. So where does this prerogative come from? And the government is doing this in the name of Americans. The government claims that this system that mistreats immigrants and that treats Americans like children, telling them who they can play with and who they cannot play with, they claim that this is done in America's interest. And I think that should really bother rational people. So throughout this process, I've had a few people ask me, uh, what does it feel like to go through this system? someone who has experienced it. And long story short, it feels uh, that I'm being treated as a suspect all the time. I'm having to prove my innocence all the time. And also notice how, how much of an inversion of the, of, of the of, if, a, if a criminal is accused of a crime, it is the government's job to prove he's guilty. He doesn't have to prove he's innocent. It frankly, from what I told you, and I told you only the highlights of my story, there's so much more, it feels like a punishment. So what evil is the system punishing by putting immigrants through this hardship? Well, there is no evil because the system is punishing people not for, the vi- for their vices, but for their virtues for trying to work and build a better life in America. It often sacrifices people of ability for the sake of people without ability, and this is the essence of injustice. The system effectively says to immigrants, do you want to come here to be productive? Do you want to come to America to design and build buildings like Howard Rourke? To run a railroad like Dagny Taggart? To build bridges like Kira, if the answer is yes, it tells you, get out of here. We don't want you. So does an immigrant in search of a better life, in search of work, deserve to be put through this, frankly, bureaucratic nightmare? And do Americans deserve to be banned from working with and welcoming whoever they want into their lives? to me, the answer is a clear no. And in fact, this makes the immigration system completely immoral. And I think that what is being done to immigrants and Americans in the name of America's interest is, frankly, a moral travesty. So what can we do? As most of you who are in this conference, um, I believe in the power of moral judgment. So you can use this information to judge your immigration system accordingly. And I know these stories don't get much attention and publicity. And really well-intentioned people who want to welcome immigrants don't hear about these stories often. So it's hard to judge properly without enough information. But now that you know a little bit, a microcosm of what the immigration system is like, ask yourself, Does this system reflect your values? And does it live up to your standards of justice and morality? All of this that I described is being done in the name of the nation who wrote the Declaration of Independence that we celebrate today. I think to fix something, we need to know what's wrong and what's broken. And recognizing that the system does not live up to our standards of justice and morality is a big step in coming up with a solution. The system's whole premise is backwards. And it is not that we need to tinker with it. You you will often hear, we need immigration reform. But this is actually not true. We don't need to reform the immigration system. We need to completely rethink the immigration system. And this doesn't mean that we cannot work for solutions for uh, the problems that we have in the system that we have right now. But we need to know that we eventually, if we want real change, we need to completely rethink the system. So um, when you go back home after the conference and you hear you know, the presidential candidates talk about immigration, just remember this. When you try to recall the immorality of the immigration system, think back to Kira's story that I told you earlier. The vast majority of immigrants are productive people that are trying to work for their dreams in the land that makes it all possible. Do we deserve the way America is treating us? Would Kira have deserved to be treated that way for wanting to build bridges? I wanna leave you with a quote that reminds me of my own struggles and those of millions of immigrants that want to come to America to work and build a better life. She had to walk there in that world across the border. A life was waiting for her to which she had been faithful her every living hour. Her only banner that had never been lowered that she had held high and straight, a life she could not betray. She would not betray now by stopping while she was still living, a life she could still serve by walking, by walking forward a little longer, just a little longer. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube, If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to einram.org.